Welcome to Food Stories. It's so exciting to be back for a second season of the podcast. I'm your host, Barb Sheldon. It's January in southern Alberta. It's pretty mild out today, but we're about to dive deep into a cold snap. I don't know about you, but when the cold weather hits, I spend my Sundays with a podcast in my ear, organizing my home, sipping on something warm, refreshing drawers and cabinets and lighting candles as I go and falling into sort of a productive hibernation. That's my plan for this weekend. And if it's the weekend where you are now, thanks for having us in your ear as you bustle about your morning. Season one of the pod was, in my opinion, a huge success. We garnered a ton of great feedback, attention, and met some of the most amazing people telling us stories about how food intersects in their life. Over the Christmas holidays, I spent a lot of time cooking with people and listening to them. And what I realized is that everyone has a food story. I bet you do too. In fact, if you feel like you have a story that you would like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us a line through the website or DM us at Instagram. We'd love to hear your story and you may even get a chance to become a guest on the show or published in the newsletter. As well, before this episode begins, I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who supported Food Stories this past year. We want to keep the podcast going, and it really helps us if you like and review and share and follow the show. In case you haven't subscribed, we also have a beautiful little newsletter that comes out each month that's full of recipes and book recommendations and deeper dives into our podcast guests. You can sign up for all of that at barbsheldonfoodstories.com. Speaking of guests, I am absolutely thrilled to welcome our first one of season two. And it couldn't be better timing. It's the dead of winter here, but Amber Stott is bringing us the California sunshine. Amber is the founder and the chief food genius, which I absolutely love, of the Food Literacy Center in Sacramento, California. And we couldn't be happier to have her here today. Amber, welcome to my kitchen table. Thank you so much for having me, Barb. Great to talk with you. Oh, it's been too long. We we met mm, in two thousand what seventeen, maybe oh, many years ago <laughs> at the uh, conference for the International Association of Culinary Professionals um, down in California, where we and other people who are passionate about helping kiddos eat their fruits and veggies, uh, we put together like a really cool little. That was a fun day, like a little program where we just bombed into a school in the middle of Hollywood with like all this food and set it up and we just helped a bunch of kids um you know cut food and and we talked to them about foods that they'd never seen before because it was a very low income uh, area there and I really enjoyed doing that with you that was really exciting that me. was the best day yeah that was really fun and then the whole rest of the entire weekend just kind of spun off from that joy uh and and just continued it was it was marvelous it was like we found each other like uh, you and me and and a few other of the chefs the, the people that are interested in in food literacy it's like we all gravitated towards each other and we were like oh it's like we have a little club now you know a group of people that really understand this and are passionate about removing barriers to to food education 
And the thing about you is you do this for a living. <laughs> this is your actual job. And that to me, that's heaven. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. it is a joy. It is. Yeah, right. And I'd love to actually just start by reading your some of your bio off of the Food Literacy website because you've done such amazing stuff. And I thought if I could just summarize that and then I'm going to ask you your food story. But if you don't mind, I'm going to talk about you for a second. Okay. So uh, on the Food Literacy website, it says, passionate about fruit and veggies, Amber grew up cooking and growing her own food, a joy she wants every child to experience. In 2011, Amber responded to the rising childhood obesity crisis by starting the nonprofit Food Literacy Center to inspire children to eat their vegetables. The nonprofit does this by teaching cooking and nutrition classes to elementary kids in low-income schools, helping them develop healthy habits that will last a lifetime. Amber uniquely understands the audience she's serving and designed a behavior change model to meet the needs of those at highest risk for diet-related disease. Within just two months of the food literacy classes, the nonprofit changes kids' attitudes towards healthy foods, the first step towards long-term behavior change. Honors for Amber include being named one of Sacramento's most powerful business leaders by Sacramento Magazine. Wow. Food Revolution Hero by Jamie Oliver Food Foundation, one of Food Tank's 20 innovators protecting the planet and one of their 17 food heroes to inspire you, inspire us in 2017. Outstanding woman leader by the National Association of Women Business Owners and a TEDx Sacramento Fellow. Holy crow, Amber, come on. <laughs> well, thank you for that very kind introduction. <laughs> well, listen, that's just who you are. And I feel like everybody should know it. Oh, wow. You've done such amazing stuff. And, you know, up here in Canada, we don't have anything like the Food Literacy Center, and it's always been a dream of mine to be able to kind of follow in your footsteps and to help remove those barriers um, to food and food education, particularly for youth experiencing marginalization. Um, so, you know, I like I I watch everything you do. You've just opened up. Well, not just, but you've opened up recently like an expanded center. Do you want to talk about that a little bit before we get into your food story? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so in 2011, I started the nonprofit Food Literacy Center to inspire kids to eat their vegetables. Mm -hmm. And um, essentially, we have been working in the same school district since then. And we go into low income or Title I elementary schools and we teach on um, we teach hands on cooking and nutrition. And so a few years into the program, um, the nonprofit barely had any money. We were just getting started, but already we were quite popular and could not keep up with the demand for our program. And the school district came to me and said they had a project that they were considering and asked if Food Literacy Center would want to be part of it. And essentially, they had a 2.5 acre vacant lot, and it is located right next to one of their elementary schools and also across the street from public housing. And mm -hmm. they were going to be partnering with the city to turn this into some type of community project that would be open public space for the community, but also offer school programs because it's a school school property. And so once they plugged me in, the ideas really started flowing and mm -hmm. I said, okay, if you guys want to grow food on this plot 
what we really need, because who's going to go home to public housing and plant food, right? We like, Mm -hmm. there is no space for that. So what they're really going to be doing is going home and ideally eating this food. So they need to know how to cook with it, right? So, so let's teach the kids not just to grow it, but what do you do with it after it's grown? So, uh, so they agreed to build us a cooking school here. And so it's a 2.5 acre lot and on it, they built a 4,500 square foot cooking school. So we have a beautiful cooking classroom. And then we have a huge commercial kitchen where we prep all the things that we we continue to still deliver education to schools. We go to the schools. So they don't come to us. We continue to go to the schools. To, obviously, we can serve more kids that way. Um, so they built us a beautiful cooking uh, commercial kitchen for that. So we can prep everything and then load it into our cars. Uh, And then also we have our offices here on site, which has been a dream come true. So everything is under one roof. And uh, we've been able to double the number of schools that we're serving in the last year. So we have only completed one school year in the building. And um, yeah, so we feel really good. We're, We're growing. The demand is still super high. We're the number one most requested after school program in our in our school district. Uh, so, so yeah, it's been really exciting. It's, it's quite, uh, um, a major accomplishment and, um, we're really proud that we get to show up and come to work here every day. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it's been a journey. (laughs) Yeah. It's yeah. Well, I mean, it's the hardest work ever, but to me, it's heaven. Like I, I just, wow, I'm so blown away and I cannot wait to come visit you one day. Oh my gosh. Yes, mm-hmm. I I I would really love that. We have to make that happen. Yeah, we do actually. Also, it just snowed here, and I would like to come there, please. <laughs> uh, so we'll get on a plane tomorrow. No. <laughs> anyway, thank you for that. You know, it takes certainly. Uh, um, uh, there's a lens that you see the world through that has allowed you to to foster this project and and bring it to fu- uh, fruition. So that's kind of where I'd like to start. Is just asking you your food story. Something obviously led you to where you are today. So Amber, tell me your food story. Yeah. Um, So I grew up in rural Illinois and my grandma and so my grandma on my mom's side uh, and my great grandma and my great aunt, they were all great bakers and cooks. And I remember the baking the most. My aunt and uncle owned a bakery in Iowa. And I remember getting to go to their bakery. That was, you know, nothing was off limits. I could, you know, pick out 10 chocolate chip cookies and no one told me no. Uh, And so I got to like, quote unquote, taste test uh, at the bakery. So Uh, I remember having these lavish birthday cakes that my aunt and grandma would make and um, just these, you know, 3D rainbows. And one time um, a birthday cake that was like an ice rink on my birthday's in January. So, uh, you know, like a, a snowy cake that was an ice rink with people little tiny figurines of people bundled in there. Yeah, it was really adorable. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, so beautiful cakes, and uh, I just remember being very excited to learn to cook at a very young age. We also grew up um, on about two acres, and so I remember also, you know, 
going out into the yard, we had apple trees, we had grapevines, we had raspberry bushes and a rhubarb patch. And I got to help pick things. And if there were apples that had fallen on the ground, I remember, you know, making myself sick because I would eat so many apples. So so that's where the journey began. Um, and then I became an adult and yeah. I finished grad school and I moved to California and started my work life. And I realized that my friends and coworkers my age didn't cook. And then somebody told me I had moved to Sacramento. We are um, America's farm to fork capital. Uh, and we have that claim to fame because we are sitting in an area that is very agricultural rich. We actually grow um, the majority of the nation's fruits, vegetables, and nuts. And so the bounty that we have here is beyond. Um, and I remember somebody telling me, oh, you should go check out the farmer's market. And I was like, what is a farmer's market? I'd never heard of such things. And I went and I don't even know if market begins to describe this place. It's it's literally a massive space under a freeway. And just imagine you could easily spend three hours just talking to farmers, looking at the various produce. And I've been going almost weekly since I moved to Sacramento in gosh, 2001. And I still find fruits and vegetables and foods I've never heard of. So it's just wow. this amazing, amazing place. And to learn that my friends weren't shopping there, uh, people didn't know about it. My friends didn't cook. And I just thought, what is happening? Um, and so around this time is when like Omnivore's Dilemma and Jane Goodall's Harvest for Hope, all those books started coming out and I was reading every single one of them. And I just could not believe the things I was reading about our food system and how broken it was. But in my personal world, having come from rural Illinois surrounded in this little, you know, in this little yard by such bounty and coming here where there's legitimate bounty, I I just, you know, the self-reflection began. Um and, you know, all yeah. the all the questioning and the how can I work on this issue and and so that's kind of the the point in time when um, I had started a food blog. I had started writing locally for publications. And that's about when I started Food Literacy Center because I just personally couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with um, my own personal grow, you know, experience growing up around food and and understanding that there were so many people who did not have that. And I just... I couldn't reconcile that. So I had to get into the community and, and try to resolve this. Uh, so, so that's how food literacy center really um, kind of came to be. So yeah, that's, that's my story. Wow. That is a story. And here you are. <laughs> yes. Wow. All these years later, you know, when, um, when we 
when I first, I think the first year that I went to the IACP conference down in the States, like having come from Canada um, years and years ago in about that same time, about 2010, 2011, I had this idealized view that while there was people who struggled here in Canada, it was nothing like the States, that the States had a much worse problem with fruit, uh, food security. Mm. Turns out it's exactly the same here mm. and getting worse every day. Like there was a statistic mm. the other day about how so many working people are using the food banks now, um, as of this year, you know, and that the need has grown so much here in Canada. Um, and so, yeah, like any barrier that we're able to help remove to help people access food. And don't you find one of the biggest barriers is the cooking piece? Yes. And that that actually is how food literacy came to be, is that I, 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 I wasn't sure where I would be able to help the most. Mm. And I've only ever worked in the nonprofit sector. So I knew that you know, in, in this sector, duplicating effort is very faux pas. You don't want to, you know, sure. we do, you don't want to replicate what someone else is already doing well. So I was looking for what are the gaps. And when I talked to the local food bank and I talked to other like uh, urban farmers and other existing programs, they all repeated the same mantra that, you know, we're trying to get this health education to people and we're trying to get um, you know, uh, more fresh and local vegetables on our pantry shelves, but no one is interested. And we think it's that they don't know what to do with this stuff. And then I started reading other articles that indeed there was data showing that we have two generations of Americans that don't know what to do with fresh produce. They don't know how to select it or cook it. And we're, we're essentially, you know, these skills are dying with our grandmothers. And so, Yes. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. 100%. I, I remember the year, I think it was the year before the IACP conference in California, I went to Washington, D.C. for it. Mm -hmm. And we went into Martha's Table Community Program, uh, which is right in the heart of Washington. You can see the White House basically mm -hmm. right there. But it, it is a similar program to the Food Literacy Center um, in that they have a school attached to it, like an actual school um like where kids go to learn curriculum mm -hmm. um but they have a and I don't know if you guys have this but they had a pantry at the front of the building that veterans and anybody needing like a bag of groceries could access and then at the back of the building they had sort of their prepared foods where you could come and get a hot meal and they were saying the food in the pantry or in the fridge is actually rotting because mm -hmm. nobody is picking it up but the back end where everything is prepared is very busy you know and yeah. their their big barrier was, what do we do with all of this wonderful fresh food that we're getting donated, but nobody is picking it up to use it. And the mm -hmm. Food Literacy Center is answering that that issue right there, because that culinary piece is exactly what it is, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Oh. And yeah. And, you know, um, food access is obviously an issue. But even where it's resolved it, without that knowledge, um, then yes, people are are less likely to, you know, take home a big head of broccoli because it seems intimidating. Yeah. So mm. that's that's where we come in. <laughs> yes, it is. That's wonderful. Um, what food or maybe in your case, what action around food could be either brings you the most joy? Oh, um, my. 
the food that brings me the most joy is rhubarb. Uh, and that is really because, yes. controversial <laughs> statement, Amber. <laughs> why? <laughs> so many people don't like it. Tell me why. I'm so intrigued. <laughs> well, that is the uh, vegetable I grew up eating. Uh, that um, it yeah. is one of my all time favorites. Um, my grandma made these amazing rhubarb pinwheels. They're basically like a little cinnamon roll that's mm. bathed in a rhubarb sauce. And uh, they're just decadent. And, you know, she'd take all afternoon to make them and we'd devour them in like two minutes. But yeah, uh, yeah. so I grew up with so many rhubarb desserts. I remember it was one of the first things I was allowed to, I would my, I would get handed a knife as a little kid and my brother and sister and I would be sent out to the backyard to uh, pick rhubarb. And so, you know, we'd chop the leaves off and bring the stems into mama and, and grandma. And um, I was the, the child that actually wanted to learn what happened to the rhubarb and be part of that process. My siblings were, were less interested in what happened in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so 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 rhubarb is is all ultimately my my go-to. Yeah. I love that. And when you grow up in a colder climate, like rhubarb is actually just everywhere all the time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's the first thing that grows here. Like when it's spring, yes. you start to see the rhubarb leaves, right? For yes. sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's not very common in California. Um Interesting. You, yeah. There's at the farmers market where I go, which is massively huge. Yeah. There is usually one vendor who has it. Uh, ah. so, yep. Uh so yeah, I I grow my own. That was the first thing I planted. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Good job. That, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um do you have a connection to music when you cook at home? Do you put music on? I do put music on. Um, I also listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks yep. nowadays. <laughs> yeah, me too. So much. Yeah. It's the yeah. best. In fact, my last guest, we were talking about our favorite food podcasts. And, and of course, top of my list would be uh, Longer Tables. Um, <laughs> Jose Andres, right? Nice. Yeah. 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 Do you have a pod? Like, what's your favorite food podcast? Uh, I actually don't listen to food podcasts. Oh, I interesting. To, yeah. You take a break. You take a break. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I listen more to, cause, cause we're all about behavior change at Food Literacy Center. Right. And so I really love Hidden Brain. Oh yes. So good. Yeah. So that's, gonna, that's the one. Post that. We'll post that in the show notes. I forgot about Hidden Brain. That's, that's such a good point. The behavior change is really Yes. It, I mean, this is one of the major barriers, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's rare to find a farm to school program that is working from a behavior change viewpoint. Yes. Yeah. I know you and I have talked before about uh, my thesis work around um, removing barriers for marginalized youth to food. And, and one of my findings was around the worth, the sense of worth and value Mm -hmm. um, that kiddos have, that you can make the best programming in the world, but if they don't feel like they deserve mm -hmm. good food or deserve to learn to cook, um, then that becomes a barrier. So that's a behavior change um, piece as well, for sure. As, yeah, absolutely. And we we also see a lot of, you know, social, emotional, um, just a lot more social, emotional distress since the pandemic mm -hmm. with our students. And so, you know, 
this cooking is something where they can feel successful, where they can, in a 45 minute cooking class, take something from nothing to completed um, and feel yes. really proud of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's a life skill like forever. Yep. Right. Yep. It's a forever thing. It's changing their lives. That's amazing. Anyway, yep. we were talking about music, but <laughs> <laughs> um, what uh, what songs do you have on your playlist for us? OK, so I have a uh, more of a funny list for you. Good. Uh, so I have Peaches from Presidents of the United States oh, of yes. America. Excellent. Love it. Banana Pancakes by Jack Johnson. Of course. Of course. Oysters, Tor- Tori Amos. Oh, I don't know that one. Okay, good. I like her. Yeah. Um, vegetables by the Beach Boys. <laughs> and <laughs> she don't use jelly by the Flaming Lips. The, this is not the first time the Flaming Lips have come up. They must <laughs> I mean, have... you know, they're doing something right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we will build your amazing playlist. Um <laughs> And, and add it to our Spotify uh, Food Stories channel. And those are, I, I will incorporate those into mine, actually, because my playlist has like beans and cornbread. Nice. And uh, everybody eats when they come to my house. And, uh, you know, like a, a yeah. lot of old timey jazz. That, that oh, nice. Used, um, there's a Louis Prima. Well, obviously all the Louis Prima songs, anything about pizza. Uh, <laughs> no. So, yeah. Oh, those are wonderful. Just love them. Um, <laughs> You've shared a recipe with me that's important to you. Um, can you let our listeners know what you've shared? Yeah, I shared a sun butter and fresh fruit sandwich. So not anything fancy, similar to rhubarb. Like I have very simple, humble food roots. Um, and this is uh, the first recipe that our kids learn at Food Literacy Center. Uh, so essentially... Um, so I said that I've only ever worked in nonprofit. And so when I started Food Literacy Center, I really wanted to bring sort of the social work perspective and overlay it on food because we, at the time, were not doing that. At the time, there was a lot of shaming and blaming of people's food choices. Right. And in social services. Um, For example, I worked at a domestic violence shelter for a while. And, you know, you don't berate the woman who shows up at the shelter for her choice in partner. Instead, you prop her up for the smart and healthy behaviors she did exhibit, such as, you know, putting the safety of your children first, like, um, so proud of you for, you know, being so brave, you know, those are the kinds of, um, ways we talk to people in the social work world. And we were not doing that with food. And so, you know, the, the sun butter sandwich, it's, it's basically a peanut butter and jelly that there's nothing more American than that. Right. And that's like every kid eats a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So I wanted our program to start with something we already knew kids like and meeting them where they're at. Also, from an affordability standpoint, you know, this is very simple. Also, we're working with kids in kindergarten through sixth grade. So yeah, something they can make themselves and feel successful at right from the start. We want them to begin our program feeling like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I already knew how to cook. Um, Mm -hmm. so, So we start there and we ask the kids to swap out the jelly for fresh fruit slices 
because one of our, we have a set of broccoli boundaries and radish routines to create an environment for success. And um, one of our radish routines is that we eat a fruit or vegetable with every snack or meal. So in that first recipe, we're asking the kids to take a fresh fruit slice and replace the jelly. Um, So it's a little swap to an existing familiar recipe and it's the first time the kids really sort of have that aha moment of, oh, this is how you add more fruits and vegetables to what you already eat. Uh, and they get really excited. You know, they start wiggling in their chairs going, this remember, can I eat it? Um, so, yeah. So so that's that's why I picked that recipe, because I think it just is emblematic um, of of what we're trying to do here with our kids. And sun butter. This is sunflower seed. Yeah. Yes. And that is because, yeah, um, our district is a nut free school district. And so we use sun butter, but it's, it's, um, it's fascinating. So I started the nonprofit in 2011 and in the last two years, we have started to see more and more seed allergies as well, which is really sad. So now, really, really. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And so now we have to always keep one jar on hand of there are like granola butters they're called, and they're more like an oat bean uh-huh. type situation. Um, so so yeah, we're even having to be careful at a at a growing rate with the seeds. So hopefully we won't see that continue to trend upward, but um, but yeah, so that's that's we originally started with the sun butter. So, oh my gosh, if we had another hour, we would have a whole discussion about gut health, but we won't. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pro and, and yeah. COVID and wow. Fascinating. Um, do I remember seeing too, that you also taught them with that recipe about the sunflower seeds and what seeds are and like, like what they do. Was that you guys? Oh yeah. So one of my favorite lessons is called sunflower power. And we, uh, so I, back when I started the nonprofit, I would let my sunflowers in my garden, just, I would leave them until they dried out. And, um, and then I would cut off the big, huge heads and I would bring it into the classroom And the kids would, you know, I would show them how to get the seed out of the head. And then um, we would make a little seed packet with crayons and paper and cut it out and glue it. And they could put their little seeds in there. And then we would make homemade sun butter and then make our sun butter sandwiches. So that's um, that's a very, you know, very STEM based uh, lesson that we like to do. It's one of our favorites. Yeah. I love it because, you know, so many kids, um, regardless of income level, often just get their food passed to them, either through a drive through window or just at home because they're not involved in the cooking. Um, and, and they don't understand where food actually for real comes from, you know. And I love that connection to the earth that you're making there with them, that it isn't just from the grocery store or their parents or their caregivers or whatever, but that it's from the earth. Well, and I also think just from a a learning standpoint, like how cool and weird to see the thing that the seed is coming out of. And, you know, it helps with the stickiness of what they're learning too. You know, you're you're never going to forget that as a kid. So, yeah. And I sure find with my little garden program that I have here in Calgary, I find that the kids that are, um, 
hesitant to, you know, they're hesitant to try new foods. Textures and flavors can be overwhelming and they're often suspicious of uh-huh. new things. Yeah. <laughs> when, as if you don't know that. Um, but when they see it grow or when they grow it themselves, they're so excited to try it. Yes. Yes. And, and similarly, when, so if kids grow it, they're more likely to try it. If they cook it, they're more likely to try it. Yeah. So yes, all about yeah. getting, getting their little hands in there for sure. We, you and I share a friend, um, Holly, who, um, she's moved to Europe now, yeah. but her program was so wonderful. Um, her, her food literacy program for kiddos, because she talked about being food adventurers. And I remember her talking about, um, cooking and, um, and how if you don't like the texture or flavor of something, try try cooking it a different way. And that was always, for me, a light bulb moment with the kiddos, too. If they something was too harsh or overwhelming in flavor, well, if we cook it down, suddenly it gets sweet, you know. And and um, I find that that also helps them want to try things when they, when they see that there's chemical changes, that things actually can taste different. Totally. Yeah, Absolutely. It's it's fun watching their little, you know, their little brains click into motion and yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And do science. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, Amber, do you have anything right now going on that you would like to tell the our little community about? Um, I know we're, you know, we're we're a lot of Canadian, but we are all inspired by what you do. And I would love um to know more about projects that you have coming up, things going on for the new year. Yeah. Um, our goal in the next several years, there are 40 Title I or low-income elementary schools in our district, and we are in 15 of them. So our goal is, you know, how can we continue to grow and expand and ultimately get to a place where we can reach every high need school in our district. So so that's one of our our aims and everything we're going to be doing around that uh will be will be in service of that goal. Um I mean from Canada just you know keep following us and liking us and sharing our story it, it definitely always helps. Um fundraising of course as well. Oh yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. People can donate from anywhere for that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and have. But yes. you know like if you are in Sacramento, come by. We have um, our our cooking school. The farm here serves as a public park. And so we have little events all the time that we make free and open to the public. So, you know, keep an eye on our website and our social media because we'll be sharing out about those. But um, we try to have like over the holiday season, we're going to have, you know, some markets where we have farmers come and we're going to have food vendors and live music, you know, just to get people here to the site. Um, because once they're here and they see how beautiful it is, um, maybe they'll be inspired to cook some of our recipes at home, or maybe they'll be inspired to get a community garden plot. So, um, so yeah, come visit. Check out foodliteracycenter.org and follow along for this adventure because, like I said, what you're doing to me, it's heaven, and I cannot wait to see you in person. Me too, Barb. You are such a food hero. Thank you so much for this story. Thank you for having me, and thanks for our talk. It was nice. Yes, it's my pleasure. We'll link to the website and uh, put Amber's playlist up on Spotify. And um, yeah, uh, you'll be hearing this in January. Happy New Year, everybody.